Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tegos. Every week on the podcast, we share a presentation and discussion from our webinar Wednesdays when we sit down with Smart Karma Insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and so on. Thank you for being with us and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Webinar Wednesday. Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming back to the webinar inside provider Devi Subhagisan, uh, and we'll go over with her the latest stock moves of Beyond Meat, one of the, the premier manufacturers of alternative protein, and the long-term outlook for the company after the challenges faced by uh, the F&B sector worldwide, um, a sector, of course, that has been one of the primary customers for products of Beyond and similar companies. Debbie is an equity analyst with an Asia consumer sector focus. She has been part of uh, the buy side and sell side and has covered oil, gas and coal, media, textiles and consumer discretionary sectors across ASEAN, India and North Asia. Uh, Debbie, welcome uh, to the webinar once again. Hi, uh, it's my pleasure to welcome you to this webinar on Beyond Meat. Specifically, we'll discuss the company's long term outlook as well as the outlook for the sector. We'll start off with a quick overview on how the alternative protein segment has evolved over the period and how it has been driving consumer interest. And then we'll look at Beyond Meat, specifically from an equity and business perspective. And finally, we'll wrap up with a quick summary of uh, what we think about the stock and the valuation. Now, alternative protein may sound new, but it is not a novel idea especially in Asia where we've had tofu and tempeh, which are essentially soya-based, which is plant-based protein. And, the pot- and it has been traced back to Buddhist monasteries in China more than 2,000 years ago. But mock meat is relatively newer compared to tofu and tempeh. It cannot really be called an innovation because it's essentially soya pellets in different shapes and colors and flavors, trying to faintly remind you of what the meat is trying to replace. Last time I tried it, which was many, many years ago, I didn't want to have it again. I'm a flexitarian, if I can use the right word. So then when plant-based meat, which personally I noticed only with the Beyond Meat IPO in 2019, the stock debuted and tripled on debut, in fact. Obviously, it was a very small stock, but then tripling on debut in a year where you had much high-profile IPOs like Uber happening, uh, the stock got noticed. And I read about it. I went through the IPO document and I could connect with what he was saying because Ethan Brown was speaking the language which many youngsters were already talking. They were saying this, uh, they were quite aware about climate change. They were aware about ocean pollution, ocean depletion, much more than those in my age group knew. So he was talking that language and I could connect with what he was saying. And that's when I started covering Beyond Meat. Now we stand in 2021 where lab-based meat is more the in thing and Singapore is one of the first countries to approve lab-based meat. We don't know when it will be commercially viable, but it will be commercially, it will be launched in Singapore soon. Which brings me to the another important point that we need to keep in mind, the perspective. All this discussion is pretty much uh, much ado about so little, I would say, because compared to the size of meat market globally, Plant-based meat is, is just a tiny little drop in an ocean. Does that mean it's irrelevant? No, the movement is pretty strong. You know, if you 
go to any kind of food trends, plant-based comes up very strongly. And as we know, what happened last year when uh, you know it, it, a lot more customers tried out plant-based meat because the association animal products had with the pandemic. Now, the, the chart on the right shows you plant-based milk which is something I, I personally thought was, was a fad when it started. Why would I want to drink milk which is made out of rice or oat or, or ground up nuts? But then it's not how it worked. The market has steadily grown. And today it is 14%. And I think some studies say it's even 20% of the milk market. U.S. consumption of dairy products, the actual dairy products have consistently fallen since uh, the 80s. So compared to that, when we look at what has happened in the milk space, it, it is quite rational to assume that the meat space can or has room to grow much more than where it is right now. Let's move on to the discussion on whether we think the whole discussion about is it a fad or a trend? You have numbers here. These are all several surveys that come out. But to me, what has changed the trajectory in this discussion is from being a cool thing to do, it has kind of become the right thing as more discussion on climate change, uh, in the impact that livestock rearing has on greenhouse gas emissions, all that take front stage. And social media uh, has uh, actively taken up this cause. We have plant-based food now not really talked as vegan anymore. Somehow vegan is associated with a different kind of lifestyle. So plant-based food is now seen as the right thing to do, but it has its own issue. Vegan diet, which is having zero animal products, always, at least in the Western world, had this issue of not having sufficient protein. Where do we get the protein from? From where I come from, India, it is a population of a billion and almost all of them are flexitarians, though the word never existed, because the normal Indian diet is predominantly plant-based, and the protein came from lentils. Occasionally, there is animal products. 30, only 30% 30 of the population is actually pure vegetarians, means they will not eat meat, but they'll still have dairy. So that, that is a sustainable diet. That is something where you can evolve eventually, but the Western diet didn't have as much lentils in the diet as regular. So that brought us to what is driving the change in food preferences. The strongest value proposition, uh, especially among Generation Z and millennial customers, has been the better for you and better for planet when it comes to making personal purchase decisions. Social media has played a big part in reinforcing it. If you can try you can Google Beyond's and plant-based diet. You could end up being a convert too. She has documented with videos the entire uh, transformation from being overweight after giving birth to her kids to her relaunch or her re-entry to the field by following a plant-based diet and of course backed up with a lot of workout and guidance from a nutritionist. But Presents a very convincing argument why it is it has made her more energetic. So what I'm trying to say is that you know you have influencers from Bill Clinton to Beyonce who are successful role models for today's public, um, arguing in favor of plant-based diet. Game Changers is a program on Netflix which I would not have noticed if not for Virat Kohli, who is a famous Indian cricketer, he was the Indian cricket captain, who said he changed, he switched from a 
uh, animal-based diet to plant-based diet, and it has made him stronger and more energetic. So uh, I, I still have not seen any strong um, academic studies saying this is so, but the, the general feeling amongst public is that many of our health issues are because of eating too much animal products. So this consumer perception and consumer value of uh, health and wellness and also for better for planet, which which is well documented. And lastly, when it comes to animal rights, in some ways related to how humans and the interaction with animals have evolved over time. A survey on pet adoption and pet keepers showed that more than 75% of them do not identify themselves as pet owners. They call them either a pet parent or pet his family. So these three arguments work well when Beyond Meat launched. At, at that time, it wasn't as strong, but in the five to six years since the launch and 10 years since they've been working on, the whole arguments that Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods put forward as, as a rational for why this product has worked well has fitted in well with this segment of younger customers or younger aware and conscious customers. If you look at the lower part, the bottom part, Beyond has gone one step further to say that they are non-GMO, there's no genetically modified ingredient, they have uh, no soy or gluten. Now, soy is, is a commonly consumed product in Asia, but in many Western countries, it's classified almost together with peanut uh, as, as an allergen. These are arguments which sets beyond separately I and mean, differently from impossible foods. A discussion on beyond is incomplete without referring to impossible foods because both were launched in the same year, started by persons with a research background. You know, they're more academicians than businessmen when they started this. They even share the same surname. And uh, backed by a similar set of investors who believed in this value proposition than, than the financial angle to the, the whole business. The difference is, however, Beyond chose to go retail first. An easier way to start, I would say, but difficult to grow. But one factor that differentiated it was the company's insistence that its products be stocked along with meat products and not in the vegan section. It quickly gave the company the product visibility amongst the wider shopping population, those who now identify themselves as flexitarians and induced trials without incurring too much cost. And now we have campaigns like Meatless Mondays, uh, which gathered momentum. So a flexitarian would probably choose beyond for that day. Impossible, on the other hand, went for a counterintuitive strategy. So uh, they, they, they went institutional first, something that one would have thought is a difficult market to crack. But uh, it, it helped them build up scale quite quickly with restaurants that recognize that uh, they're missing out on uh, vegetarian and health-conscious clientele. So if you, if you go out as a group, especially where you socially, you know, you eat out uh, on social occasions, and if you have one person who's a vegan, then you will have to skip place like McDonald's, which doesn't offer a vegan product or, or a vegetarian product, in fact, in most markets. So personally, I am forced to go to Burger King because my younger son eats only vegetarian. Else we would have probably chosen some other place, because, but Burger King offers you a barbecue veggie burger. So that is a market which kind of quickly caught up with the value proposition that Impossible offered. 
the key factor which also helped improve invisibility is that Impossible insisted on exclusive tie-ups and co-branding of products. So if you go to Burger King, which sells Impossible, it will say they're selling Impossible Whopper and there'll be a big banner put next to it. So public knew about Impossible without a single newspaper advertisement. It, it came totally through PR and these little banners. Both of them are now trying to eat into each other's original uh, segments. Beyond is trying to widen its reach in the institutional segment, while impossibly trying to hit the retail shelves. There is a little glitch in here in the sense that there's an international market where impossible is available in Singapore and is available in most of in, in Hong Kong and most of Southeast Asia, but they cannot access China nor Europe because Europe has banned products with GM content uh, in terms of food and China requires you to take special approval on a case-by-case basis, which impossible is trying to get but still haven't. So when it comes to growth potential, we expect, uh, we expect Beyond's next leg of growth to come by tying up with more institutional clients. It, it can be a roller coaster ride. We saw a few months ago when the McDonald's tie-up didn't work out and there was enough confusion in the market, the stock tanked. And a few weeks ago when Taco Bell announced that they will be going with Beyond, the stock uh, you know, went up. 20% in two days' time. So, but still, there is still room. Uh, the, the, the game is on. I think the advantage Beyond will have here is that it caters to the vegan market, which is mostly also anti-soy, anti-gluten, uh, and anti-GM. So but that's the advantage uh, Beyond has, uh, apart from uh, which, uh, apart from the economics part, which we are not very sure, but at least it's publicly not known where the pricing stands. The international sales market, yeah, this is the competitive advantage beyond enjoys versus impossible is what I discussed a while ago, especially in China and Europe. But China as a market consumes very little beef per capita compared to the US. They're more on pork and poultry. Beyond has launched Beyond Pork in a mincemeat form so it can be used in dumplings or stir fries. Uh, which is a commendable move, uh, at least to me. Uh, it, it seems that they have really thought through the international strategy and launched products accordingly. It's, it's not like, oh, we have a successful product in the US, let's just launch it in China as well. So they, they have the launching of Beyond Pork shows that they are probably have a well thought out strategy for this market. Europe and China can potentially be much bigger for plant based meat products than US itself beyond the setting up production facilities, both in China and Europe. And when it comes to unit economics, Beyond has proven that it has hit viable unit economics. If you look at the previous quarters in 2019, 2Q and 3Q is when they reported positive net income, their operating margins were in double digits, and it looked like, oh, we can grow and still make money. And more importantly, every burger we sell, we make money. We are not losing money. The fear that market had that is this a concept stock that is pursuing mindless growth and hoping for my you know valuation based on growth because the stock is still valued on EV to sales basis. So th- that is kind of I mean allayed I would say the fear is allayed. The company can can make profits if it decides to price accordingly. The past few quarters it had announced that it's going for aggressive discounts and pricing. Pricing downs that they can reach to a wider market because customers seem ready for a trial. 
So these are factors which we think, why, why we think it is viable as a proposition, but market has overriding concerns on competition from new entrants. Who are the new entrants? There are the big boys like Tyson, Hormel Foods. These are existing meat packers. Uh, almost all the food processing companies that you know of have invested in plant-based foods. Can these deep-pocketed guys come and totally change the market? Personally, uh, I, I, I don't see that happening because one, Beyond has target Beyond and Impossible has targeted a customer base which have bought into this product for some reasons, not just because it's plant-based, but because it is helping solve other issues, which we discussed earlier. And they have been consistently working on refining this product and its economics for the past decade. So new entrants have a long way to go, and both the incumbent food processors and the meat packers lack a moral ground to address the kind of consumer segment that Beyond and Impossible have built so far because they already have businesses in the animal product segment, which is much bigger. So obviously they cannot be arguing against that. So it's like we also have a piece in this. We would like to have a piece in the sky. It's it's almost there. I don't see them being very aggressive. Competition from lab-based meat, if and when it happens, when when it becomes a commercially viable product, I think it will start chipping more at the animal meat market than at the plant-based meat products, in my view. Now, if it could truly become the future of protein, which it, which that has more potential, it can chip into the livestock rearing industry more than plant-based meat can ever do. Because from a taste perspective, from a nutrition perspective, I think there will be limitations where plant-based meat can mimic lab-based meat from available technologies. But if plant-based as a customer value, as a customer preference stays, then which will stay for a, for a good part of the population, these guys also have a market. So they will coexist with each other. The market, the, the segment for alternative protein will be much bigger when lab-based gets commercial. Lastly, competition from impossible foods. It is real. And if you have tried both the products, to me, it is indisputable that impossible's products win hands down in a blind taste test. There are many blind taste test results that have been published in media. Impossible tops all of them. Personally, I found impossible's product almost indistinguishable from uh, an animal meat product, but Beyond will not come that close, but it has a genetically modified ingredient, which is heme, which is core to its taste appeal. So many customers aren't okay with it because here the customer base are is a more health conscious and the woke customer we are talking about. And Beyond also has an appeal in the West for its non-soil label. So for now... Beyond has its own unique positioning vis-a-vis impossible, but it will have to take the competition. I think both will continue to compete, continue to work on their unit economics and appeal to the institutional segment. That That's a competition you cannot wish away. Concerns on sustainable growth and profitability. This is what we discussed earlier. We had a peak view of 
this happening in 2019. Uh, we can only really hope that things settle for the better this year and we have a return to profitability with growth. Uh, I don't think investors will like this talk without growth. Lastly, uh, let's look at the competitive landscape. All, almost all the incumbent food processing companies have acquired a plant-based protein player. Almost all these brands which you see here were acquired by the original company uh, or, or the, the bigger company's logo which I have put in there. But unlike the pure place, as I discussed, they are conflicted when it comes to aggressively promoting this segment because, or, or even the causes these products stand for because they have a much bigger animal product segment to take care of. The focus for Beyond uh, and Impossible will be in the what we call the pure place segment. And here, if you look at the pricing, the comparison for pricing is slightly on the expensive side for now. So it is it is still not a product that will have mass appeal from an affordability perspective. We have many new players entering this segment. This year, we had Shenmeet in China launching its products. I have not had a chance to try it, so I have no comments. Uh, but there were favorable reviews online. OmniMeat is available in Singapore. It, it, is, it is quite close to the real thing. You can make a dumpling and you will make out, but it, it's poultry that, that's available here. So th this is the segment which will be the competitive landscape for beyond for all practical purposes to my mind. The one on the right is almost close to a vegetarian product than a plant-based meat product in terms of when, when we discuss the meatier part of it. So what is the real risk? I think there's a product risk every time you talk about a single product company, especially a young company. It is a new product made from processed pea protein for Beyond and processed soya protein and heme for Impossible. The highly health conscious customer base can sway quite quickly if tomorrow some study says that, okay, this can cause health issues. Already there were questions being raised on why, why is Beyond using canola oil in its products because canola is a highly processed oil unlike olive oil or coconut oil which is more pure so uh, this is a black square case but to my mind it is something investors have to keep in the back of their mind so others are ongoing you know risks of any regular business but this is something specific i would think to sum up i would say that beyond has managed to build a brand in a niche segment with attractive growth potential it has visible avenues of growth in the near term and its premium valuation, I think blame it on scarcity premium. It's, it's the only pure play equity in this segment for now. And it fits well into the investor need where they are looking for businesses that can positively impact the environment. In this case, in Beyond's case, is by reducing meat consumption. And the stock has been highly volatile thanks to its relatively small size and high short interest. So that's it from us uh, on the emerging alternative protein scene and Beyond Meat's place there. We'll be happy to discuss if you have any questions. Thank you very much, Debbie, for this uh, really good overview of the company and as well as the space, actually. In fact, I will agree with you that uh, Impossible is probably the best of the two when it comes to reminding you of the, the real thing. But, uh, but beyond, 
I think, achieves its kind of unique flavor without being a, a copy. So, Debbie, you mentioned uh, how the stock is quite volatile. And it's true that we, we did see a, a jump uh, recently. And I was wondering, what do you think it shows for the company and what investors think about it uh, in 2021 as we get started? Yeah, the stock has always been uh, highly volatile based on news flows. To my mind, it's because many investors don't have a long-term visibility on the stock. So they think, uh, you know, every time you have a new uh, information on uh, an institutional tie-up, the stock bounces back. But you, the company has guided towards what kind of capacity they're building and what kind of growth they're forecasting. So that's where we come in this USD 1 billion sales in 2022. This could have been slightly earlier, if not what happened last year, that is 2020, when institutional sales tanked uh, because of the restrictions faced by the restaurant sector. So um, I, I feel many long-term investors are probably just staying there. But there's a lot of investors who play around in the stock because of its volatility and the high short interest. So you wait for the bottom range and buy. And if you're a long-term investor, stay. <laughs> Otherwise, you exit at the top range. Structurally, I don't think too many things changing, but you will have this news flow, news flow fluctuations happening. Right. You also mentioned uh, that one of the primary competitors at the moment seems to be um, the from the lab-based meat space. And you you also mentioned that we've seen, you know, the first perhaps iteration of the technology of the product rather in Singapore, and which comes from uh, the company Eat Just, if I'm not mistaken. So do you think that going forward, this will turn into serious competition for companies like Beyond and Impossible? Or... Do you think that they can sort of run concurrently and serve different needs? If lab-based does indeed become commercially viable, which they seem to be very confident of given the number of players who are in this space. And if you look at the logic they are putting forth, which is, they say a cow is a converter of grass into protein, but a very inefficient converter because in the process <laughs> it takes up too much energy. It produces too much greenhouse gases and it corrects so much of problem on our environment. So why not create a converter which is far more efficient? So you take a cell from a cow, place it in a medium, uh, in a, place it in a bioreactor, and let it grow. So the system sells to my mind, you know, this is what we are trying to uh, do it in other areas in the medical space. So we let it grow and they found that it grows in a certain amount of time. And if they can shorten the amount of time and if they can improve its texture, I mean, you are, you are actually getting a muscle structure out of it. So which is different from a plant-based product where you are just extruding some protein into uh, a texture which is similar to meat. So you're getting a muscle structure and you can serve it as a piece of meat. Now, maybe next generation will be okay with that idea. No? Why, why should I go for this totally uh, unethical thing of, you know, rearing an animal and then chopping it off its head off? I mean, if any of you have ever seen an animal being killed, I don't know how many of you will actually eat it. Uh, <laughs> almost everyone I asked to, they said they just buy a cut piece from the supermarket. You know, they've never, ever killed one. But I have seen it. As a kid, I grew up in a farm. I have seen birds being plucked. But if you're exposed to it as a three-year-old, you don't feel anything wrong about it, you know. 
you you think this is how the world works but most of my friends they they, they never touched a piece of meat or raw meat until they were in their late teens probably so they said they can never imagine killing one or touching blood before eating a meat so i guess I, potentially the beyond and impossible can continue serving vegan oriented yes. audiences even so, if lab based meat yes. uh, uh, blows vegan. up in a sense Yes, my view is that the lab-based meat will, if it happens, will expand the market of alternative protein immensely yeah. and what plant-based alone could do. So it, it is not a direct um, competition, but it will, uh, yeah, in some way, affect each other. Mm-hmm. One question from the audience mentions uh, J.P. Morgan's uh, bearish report on uh, on Beyond. What do you think about uh, about that? Uh, if you can. Tell me the arguments J.P. Morgan has. I have not seen the J.P. Morgan report. Right. Basically, the quick, uh, the quick one is moderate cost and slowing sales. See, uh, what what happened in 2020 was not anticipated, but the market overreacted when there was a retail run on these products. Early 2020, when you had meat packers having a severe disruption because workers in their plants were affected with COVID, so they had to shut down plants. So there was a disruption in supply of meat products to the ales. So there was a panic buying and people were willing to buy anything. So they just went and bought anything mm-hmm. that was available in, in the protein meat section, including Impossible and Beyond, which many of them didn't even know about or have never tried before. So there was an overreaction and the stock went all the way to 190 plus uh, because they thought, you know, this this will totally change the fortunes of the company. But they forgot the fact mm-hmm. that the biggest chunk of the sales came from institutional. We had a ton of report in one of our reports that the increase in sales from retail cannot compensate for the loss of uh, sales from institutional because all the restaurants were shut down. Even when they reopened, they were running on a limited menu given you know the restrictions they had in place, which means they didn't have all those fringe products like plant-based. They, they were selling their core, uh, most popular range. So th- there was a deep disappointment when the next set of results came out because the sales weren't good enough. So it's not slowing of sales in a long-term trend trajectory but versus expectation it was slowing because they thought it has you know the because of pandemic the stock is gonna i mean the 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 company's prospects is gonna change significantly for the better which didn't happen because of the loss in institutional sales so i don't think structurally the company will uh you know see a degrowth or uh, will it will it grow at a slower pace than it did in the past Probably yes, because given the size, but probably no too, because they if they are able to make it well in Europe and China, uh, in give them a year, then then probably sales will pick up at a different pace than even market is expecting right now. So uh, I wouldn't mm-hmm. worry too much about the the potential for growth. Yeah, it, it is dependent on how well they tackle these two segments, which is institutional and international. They cannot stay a U.S. only company and then hope for you know the kind of growth they have had. Absolutely, um, and I think you mentioned in your uh, most recent note as well how Beyond has established partnerships with uh, companies in China such as Yum and uh, Starbucks China, yeah. which uh, which are companies that you also talked about in in your previous webinar as well. Uh, have you seen 
or rather, what is your view of those companies now after it seems like the worst of the pandemic is over, especially in China? Starbucks has indeed surprised everyone. I mean, you know, my, my initial view was that players like Starbucks, who their key value proposition was being the third place. But then during pandemic, you couldn't even stay in the store. Still, the company right. went very well. You know? So it, it is uh, lack of insight into customer minds that made me make that short-termish view, I think. Because almost everyone uh, <laughs> thought coffee was something, uh, you know, but when everything changed around you, you wanted something to be stable. And a Starbucks coffee was something that made you feel like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, there is something that, that, that is normal with, with our lives. So, so that, that, that stock has done phenomenally well and uh, kudos to the management. They knew how to pivot well in each markets. Uh, and in China, especially their plant-based products reportedly did quite well, given the pandemic had animal meat associations and increased customer health consciousness also meant, you know, many of them wanted to choose plant-based and you have a Beyond Burger product, Beyond Meat product, which tasted like meat, but was plant-based. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it has worked well uh, now Now that the pandemic, even the early stages of recovery itself, these, these, these companies were showing stronger recovery than uh, one would have expected. Mm. I guess the cultural sensitivity that Beyond shows is a, is a major factor as well um, that, you, that you also talked about uh, today. In your research, is Beyond kind of unique in that sense? Or does it seem like uh, other companies in the sector are paying attention to that factor? So Omnipoc uh, is this a very successful player, which is uh, promoted by a social venture called Green Monday based out of Hong Kong. And they, since their target was in Asia, they, they started off with the pork product and the chicken product, mm. which is more widely consumed in this part. So I think these, these companies are quite sensitive about or quite conscious about, uh, you know, the demands in these markets. And they probably, uh, companies like Beyond probably were developing a pork product right from the beginning, but they didn't want to launch it in the US given, you know, that that's not where the real meat lies there. So, you know, they, they reserve it for China. And uh, th- that makes me think that, okay, you know, these guys have thought through the strategy. Uh, in, in the past, many Western players, when they, when they launch in Asia, they will just um, copy paste the product. You know, they wouldn't think hmm. That has left many white spaces, as as they say, in in the consumer segment. Yep. Yeah. So that, that that's why I, I spoke positively about Beyond's launch in China, but it's really too early to know how well they have done because uh, it's mm. only launched in November 2020. The Beyond Pork product, the Beyond Beef product, was sure. launched earlier as tie up with the institutional segment, but beef is not a big uh, segment in the in that country. Wait and see then. And finally, uh, just to um, just to wrap up, do you see a consolidation in the space going forward, considering the the larger players that have come in in recent times, or do you see Impossible and Beyond being able to grow independently in their space? The consolidation in terms of uh, acquisitions have already happened. You know, uh, many niche players were acquired by the bigger boys. So if, if you look at the earlier slide, Vegetarian Butcher was a well-regarded plant-based meat product player from Europe. Now that's been acquired by Unilever, you don't hear much about it. 
So that that level mm. of consolidations has happened even before the market for plant based was uh, you know got into this level of growth. But we would still see new players coming in. I think this place is quite active with a lot of funding uh, available. Uh, will all of them be able to match and come up with a product that is both commercially viable and appeals to customers? Uh, you know, I think it's it, it, it that's uh, that could take time unless it's it's like niche players like we have a player in Thailand who've launched during the pandemic. We have one in Japan. So those are markets. These are regional markets with regional needs. So I think space will be active. Mm-hmm. But Impossible and Beyond has managed to brand their products well, have very high visibility uh, without spending too much on advertisement. So I think that is the advantage they will have apart from their product uh, development. Well, we'll definitely be looking forward to more coverage from you as you continue watching this space. Thank you very much, Debbie, for your time today. And uh, thank you, everyone, for being with us. If you would like to engage with Debbie directly, uh, please contact your Smart Karma account manager and they will be able to help you out with that. And if you have any other questions, uh, please email us at research at smartkarma.com. Debbie, thank you very much once again. Thank you, Michael. That's it for this week. If you liked this episode, please share it with your networks and follow Smart Karma on your social media. We're Smart Karma everywhere. And of course, don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly independent, differentiated investment research. As always, thank you very much for listening and see you at the next one.